Yeah, we are running out of time, aren't we? We are running out of time. Time is fading away quickly. We start out pretty healthy, and then uh, we get broke down, don't we? We do. We are running out of time. Running out of time. Before you know it, our life will be over. Amen? It'll all be over. The history books will be written. If your name's like mine, most people's names will never be, for, never be remembered again, uh, humanly speaking. We are running out of time. I told, uh, I want to remind you, and I, I prayed that, you probably heard me. I mean it though, I'm, I was talking to Jesus. You got to hear me talk to him about it. But this reminds us, all the sickness and heartache and pain, that this is all temporary. This is all, we are fading away. We are, the, the grass is fading away. The glory of man is as the flower of the field, and it's fading away, it fades away. We're like the fog, the mist in the morning. That's what James said, and it's, Fading all away very quickly. It's, it's going to be gone. It won't be long. It'll all be gone. And uh, we can pray and pray and pray and pray and pray all we want to. If the Lord tarries his coming, not every prayer is going to be answered. You will succumb to some sickness and disease. You will. There's going to come a time when it'll happen. And we need to think about that. We need to prepare our minds and our hearts for that. That's going to happen. You, you mark it down. You put it in your calendar with a question mark. You don't know when. But if the Lord tarries is coming, it's going to happen. You're not going to live forever. And so we need to mind heavenly things. We need to think about what's eternal, what matters most. Everything that we're worried about that is not eternal is meaningless eternally. And we need to think about that. What is eternally important? And that is what is most important to our lives. Whatever is eternally important is the most important subject of your life. And I mentioned it a few Wednesday nights ago that one of these days I'm going to, I'm going to get sick. I'm going to, with some disease, some, some diagnosis. And I, I told them, and I'll tell you all, that if, if pray for my recovery, not so that I could get back to a life of earthly ease. And pray, though, that if, if the Lord wants me to recover, pray that I can get back to the work, get back to serving Jesus, to go about doing good, all that we can in Jesus' name. And the Lord don't just want to heal us and make us well and whole so we can get back to our daytime stories, so we can get back to the soap operas, so we can get back to just going about our lives of ease. We want to be delivered so that we can continue to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And should that time end, then fine, so be it. It is, as Paul said in the book of Philippians, to be with Christ is far better. But our lives should be meaningful for Jesus' sake, where Paul said, but to be with you is better for you. So our lives are to serve each other, serve Jesus, to glorify his name on earth. And if I'm ever ill or sick, pray that I can get back to that. And should that time ever stop that I can't do that, then fine, I'd rather go to heaven, wouldn't you, and be with Jesus, which is far better. So let's always, as a church, keep our perspective, our perspective scripturally, that if the Lord delivers us, earthly speaking, then, then great, I can keep serving Jesus. And if he don't, because one of these days, you're going to be delivered to heaven. You're going to be delivered unto heaven. That's, that's the deliverance. Amen? That's the deliverance. Amen. Let's turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1. Tonight we're going to consider John the Baptist. Last, last Sunday night we considered verse number 1. That's all we did in our 
studies and preaching through the book of Mark. And we considered that there are three beginnings, do you remember? There is the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, so in the beginning was God. And then this morning's sermon, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So we have in the beginning God, it's three times in Scripture, in the beginning God, number one. Number two, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, number two. That's the second beginning. And the third one is in the book of Mark chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we considered that. And remember that the gospel is attached to Jesus Christ. And if it's a gospel attached to another Jesus, it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not a gospel. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which is vital for your salvation. Because if he's not the Son of God, then your sin debt has not been atoned for. So the Mark starts with Jesus. But now he tells us about the forerunner of the Messiah, the forerunner of Jesus, which is John the Baptist. And we'll find this account again in the first chapter, beginning at verse number 2. The Bible says, As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. In verse 4, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. For there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were all baptized of him in the river of Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins and he did eat locusts and wild honey and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. John says, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. In verse number 8, I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, we worship you and praise you. And Lord, we're thankful that you've led us to preach through the book of Mark God, I pray that this gospel according to Mark would be a great blessing and a help to us. Lord, we love you, we worship you and thank you. And Lord, we pray this could be sanctifying to us and edifying to us and build up your kingdom among us, that our faith would increase and our love for you would increase and our appreciation of the gospel would increase and our worldview would become more dedicated, more surrendered to you, Jesus, that you'd be our Lord and our Savior. And Lord, our lives would be closely knit to you and it would be hard to tell where you start and we stop, and where we stop and you start. Lord, I pray this book will be a great help to us. We love you and worship you and praise you. In your name, Jesus Christ, we pray and ask these things. Amen. Verses 2 and 3, you won't find this much in the book of Mark, but Mark is citing two Old Testament prophecies concerning the prophecy of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was prophecy fulfilled. He's referencing Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, and Malachi verse, chapter number 3, verse number 1, in verses 2 and 3. So John the Baptist was prophesied in the Old Testament. And Mark is saying that this is the prophecy being fulfilled in the person of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, he has a miraculous birth. If, if you don't know it, John the Baptist, according to the book of Luke, is the cousin... Luke chapter 2, verse 36, of, he is the cousin 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus' mother, Mary, is cousins with Elizabeth, which is John's mother. And so we find that John the Baptist is actually related to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ. So immediately we, we realize we've got something here, don't we? We got something here. So we, we have somebody that is the, the, the physical, literal fulfillment of prophecy in John the Baptist. And he's also related to the Lord Jesus Christ through, through Mary, his mother. And we know something about this miraculous birth because you remember in the book of Luke chapter 1, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, he was burning incense in the temple. And Gabriel the archangel comes and appears to Zacharias. So we, again, we have something going on here. It, so the word of God is trying to express to us the significance of this man. How important John the Baptist is. So he's the fulfillment of prophecy. He's, the, he's a cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ to his mother's side. Not his father's side because Joseph is not the father of Jesus. Amen? God is the father of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, but he's related to Jesus, to Jesus through his mother's side. But Zacchaeus is burning incense in the temple. And uh, Gabriel, the archangel, appears to Zacchaeus and he says, your wife's going to get pregnant. And John, the, and John the Baptist's dad, Zacharias, says, how can this be? You know, she's, she's way past age. Uh, what it means is she's past childbearing age. And uh, it's like, this can't be. And we know that that did take place. So it was, again, it was a dead womb. Elizabeth was unable to have a child, unable to, to, to conceive in her womb, and we know that John the Baptist was conceived through impossible human circumstances. So what is God doing? He's, he's showing the world like, hey, this is, this is significant, that we should pay attention to this. This is, a, this is a special person. This is a unique situation. And what the, what the reason why I think this is expressed this way in Scripture, it's prophetic, it's miraculous, it's prophetic, it's miraculous, and his relationship is significant. What God is teaching us is that John the Baptist wasn't a, a, by the will of man. John the Baptist was ordained of God. John the Baptist's ministry was commissioned by God, and it was foretold, it was like 700-something years in the book of Isaiah's case, before John the Baptist even existed in the womb of his mother Elizabeth. And it's humanly impossible for John the Baptist to, to even be in the womb of Elizabeth unless God opens her womb. And I'm glad God can do that, ain't, ain't you? God can certainly do that. So we know that John the Baptist, he is scripturally, he's prophetic, he's prophetically, he's fulfilling prophecy, his relationship with Jesus is significant, he has a miraculous birth, through his mother and his father, through a dead womb of his mother. But also Jesus says something significant about John the Baptist. Jesus says in Matthew chapter number 11, verse number 11, Jesus says that John the Baptist is this, in Matthew eleven eleven. And we're learning about John the Baptist tonight because it would be a shame to not know the truth about John the Baptist, wouldn't it? It'd be a shame to... to to skim over it all of our lives and never come to a greater understanding about who this significant Bible character is, especially since Jesus says something remarkable about him. So you might think, who's the second to Jesus? Who's the greatest Bible character? And these names come to mind like Moses. Well, he's the, he's the greatest Bible character outside of Jesus. Or Father Abraham, he's the greatest Bible character outside of Jesus. 
or the Apostle Paul. He's the greatest Bible character outside of Jesus. And we always think about these names, don't we? But listen to what Jesus says about John the Baptist. Matthew eleven eleven. Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, Among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And Jesus gives a remarkable paradox at the end that you can be great too if you live and have a, have a mission and a purpose like John the Baptist. And what did John the Baptist say that we would all agree probably is the most significant thing that, share, that gives us an insight into his character? Where John the Baptist said in John chapter number 3, I must decrease that he might increase. And so Jesus, who is the greatest assessor of a person's character that ever lived, because he's God, Jesus says that the greatest person ever lived, born a woman, is John the Baptist. And so the Bible should be sparking interest. He says his prophecy fulfilled, has a miraculous birth, and he's, his relationship to Jesus is significant. And then Jesus vouches for his character and his, and his office and his work. And Jesus says there's not a greater born of woman than John the Baptist. So he is an important figure in Scripture that should be considered. Now, in verse number 6, as we read in our text, gives us, an eye, gives us a clue into John's appearance. The Bible says in verse number 6, John was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of skin about his loins. So John the Baptist is a unique person. We know that he's in the wilderness because of the, of the, of, of, of the of verse that preceded that, that verse. We, we know that John the Baptist is a voice crying in the wilderness. So John the Baptist is a loner, and his clothing speaks significance about who he is. He really don't care what you think. He don't care. So he's not playing the fashion game. He's not trying to fit in with anybody. He, he's, he doesn't care about the world at all. And so the greatest man that ever lived, prophecy fulfilled, miraculous birth, conception, he doesn't care about what people think. Now his food is interesting because the Bible says in verse number 6 that he did eat locust and wild honey. And so he's, his, his palate isn't very, uh, isn't very appealing. He doesn't really want to go out to eat. He doesn't, you can't really impress him with what you own and what you care about. He's in the wilderness, he's a loner. And all of God's men, if you ever want to be used of God, then you've got to get used to being lonely. You've got to get used to not fitting in. You've got to get used to looking, maybe even appearing different from the rest of the world. That, you know, you march to the beat of a different drum. Your rhythm's a little bit off according to everybody else's standards. So John the Baptist is an interesting figure, but his appearance is also interesting, isn't it? He's wearing camel hair, and it's tied together with a, with a leather belt around his waistline. And he eats locust and wild honey. In Matthew chapter number 11, Jesus says, he asks a question, and all great preachers and teachers ask questions. And Jesus said, what went ye out in the wilderness to see? What did you see, a prophet? Jesus said, yea, you went out to see greater than a prophet. What went ye out in the wilderness to see? A man in soft raiment? Jesus said, no, you didn't go out there to see a man in soft raiment. He said, for kings wear soft clothes. And those who wear soft clothes live in kings' houses, Jesus said. So what went ye out in the wilderness to see? You went out there to see a prophet. 
Somebody different. Somebody that God used. And whoever, whoever God uses will be different. They will not fit in hardly. They are typically and usually somewhat skewed or obtuse from everybody's idea of what a person should be. Why? Because they are living for God. They are serving God. They are following God. They are following Jesus. So John the Baptist, he's, he's, he's significant of prophet, prophecy fulfilled, his relationship to Jesus, his, his conception through the, through the dead womb of his mother Elizabeth. He's the greatest man that ever lived according to Jesus Christ, and he wears dirty, ratty clothes. It's interesting, isn't it? How do we view success and people's value? This guy eats wild honey and locust. He doesn't eat double cheeseburgers. He, he doesn't go to Ruby Tuesdays. He doesn't fit into what you and I think is normal. I'm glad that Jesus uses people that aren't normal, ain't you? And Jesus uses these people because they aren't normal. And they're not normal because normal is the broad way and abnormal is the narrow way that leadeth unto life. John the Baptist is a unique figure and he's unique even according to his own appearance and his own lifestyle. He's a loner. He, he's, he doesn't care what people think. That, what does that mean? He can't be bought, he can't be persuaded, he doesn't care about lifestyle, he doesn't care about possessions, he doesn't care about where he lives, he doesn't care about his subdivision, he doesn't care about his fancy donkey, he doesn't care about none of those things. It appears then that the only thing that John the Baptist cares about is Jesus. That's it. That's all he really cares about. And that's what makes it unusual, isn't it? Is that all he really cares about? Yes, that's it. He's not at all trying to fit into the social order of anything. He is, he, and then he says, I'm going to decrease so that Jesus might increase. Now, what is John out there in the wilderness doing? He is the voice, verse 3, of one crying in the wilderness. John the Baptist is crying in the wilderness. John the Baptist broke 430-ish years of, of divine silence. That blank white page between Malachi and Matthew, between the Old and New Testament, is about 400-ish years where God didn't say a word. 400-something years of, 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 of no prophetic message. 400-something years of silence from God. 400-something years where there was no prophet risen up. 400-something years where there was nobody that said, Thus saith the Lord. 400-something years of religion without God in it. 400-something years of dry, boring, ritualistic religion where God wasn't in none of it. 400-something years of silence. And then all of a sudden, there's a weird man out in the wilderness raising his voice on behalf of God, and he is full of the Holy Spirit. You know what's interesting about that? He's not wearing clothes to get, to get to be appealing. He's not in any social circle to be appealing. He, all he did was he didn't perform any miracles at all. He performed no miracles at all. He didn't turn anything. He didn't turn water into wine. He didn't walk on water. He didn't raise the dead. 
He didn't, he, didn't, he, didn't make a, he didn't multiply bread and fish. He didn't do any of that. All he did was preach. That's it. That's all he did. He stood out there alone and he raised his voice. And he spoke on behalf of God. And we learned in verse number 5, there went out unto him all the land of Judea. Why would they go do that? Because if a man is full of the Holy Spirit, all he needs is the Holy Spirit. That's it. If a man is full of the truth of God, it will draw people without a gimmick, a promotion, a raffle, any, any side activities, that God will be enough. And so really we're also learning how to have a successful ministry. All you really need, isn't it, is God. That's what you need. All you need is Jesus. That's it. All you need, you don't need promotions, you don't need gimmicks, you don't need side hustles, you don't need any little trinkets, you don't need giveaways. Like, hey, we're going to, John didn't do this. He didn't say, hey, we're going to have a giveaway out here in the wilderness. We're going to have, there are going to be prizes. It's going to, you come on out here to the wilderness. You know why? If that was going on, John the Baptist wouldn't have been in the wilderness. The whole idea of this location is that the power of God is on a man unclothed for the activity, not clothed properly, rather. And he is preaching the truth of God and people are dying to hear it in an age where God has been silent. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Hey, we're going to have this go... No, he didn't have that. He's alone with God and God said, speak. And he spoke with the power and the influence of the Holy Spirit of God and all of Judea and Jerusalem went out there to hear this man wrapped in camel skin with a leather belt around his loins just got through eating a lunch of locust and wild honey. All this is about is about God. It's not confusing at all, is it? So God prophesied it. God ordained it. God scheduled it. God did it. God separated him. God sent him out in the wilderness. He's out there who knows how long. Some people think 20 years. He's a complete loner. He doesn't wear the right kind of clothes. And you know the message that he preached? Verse number 4, John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. What that means is, is, is that the baptism of John was confess your sins and repent of it. That was it. If you confess your sins and repent, you get baptized. Nobody gets baptized unless you confess your sins and repent. And his, his message was, there was some meaning behind it, and he said, hey, and bring you fruit, meat for repentance in Matthew, in the book of Matthew. So, hey, repent, believe it, make it, it should be obvious in your life, repent and be baptized. And all went out to Jerusalem to hear, what did he say? What was his message? It was repent. And he lasted, some think his ministry lasted about three to six months to a year. So John the Baptist, sold out for Jesus, completely askew from the world and its tradition and its fashions and its whims and its ideas and its appetites and its lust and its affections, his ministry lasted at most a year. They cut his head off for what he preached. 
It's no wonder then this don't go on much anymore, amen? John the Baptist told the Pharisees, you are a pit of vipers. He told the, he told the soldiers that you need, to be, you need to be content with your wages. What if a preacher come to Westside and said, you know what, all you crybabies, you need to be content with the money that God gave you. You know what half of us would be saying? He ain't got no right meddling in that. He just needs to preach the gospel. He don't need to talk about that. What if a man come here to Westside and said that to us? You don't need to quit worrying about what you do and what you don't have. You just need to think about what's most important. That's Jesus Christ in your life. And if God wanted you to have more money, you'd have more money. And some of you, God knows you don't need more money because it would wreck your lives. And so some people might think, well, I'm glad that I don't have the love of money. But some people are poor and they have just as much love of money as a rich person because all they do is wish they had the money a rich person had. And they're in love with money that they don't have. John the Baptist come along here and said, you all need to be content with all the money you got or don't have. You need to thank God for what you have. Amen? And thank God for it. And John the Baptist would come to this pulpit and he'd say, you all need to quit worrying about the cars that you drive. You need to be thankful for what you have. One of these days you might get a new car and your new car will be nicer than the one you used to covet after. So it don't really matter, does it? That's what John the Baptist would say, wouldn't it? And so after a little while of that preaching, after about six months of it, you would see maybe some folks say, you know what, all he does is gripe and complain and fuss and pick and do all this and that. Well, maybe John the Baptist was trying to get us to see what's most important. Maybe that was the whole point of it. Maybe that was the idea of it that, hey, you all need to straighten your lives up because, repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's exactly what he said in the book of Matthew. Repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what's the kingdom of heaven at hand? Repent because Jesus is coming. Wake up. Jesus is coming. Get a hold of yourself because Jesus is coming. Straighten up because Jesus is coming. Repent. Bring your fruit, fruits, meat for repentance because Jesus is coming. You religious crowd, you generation of vipers, you need to straighten up because Jesus is coming. You Roman soldiers, be content with your wages. That's not really important because Jesus is coming. And you publicans, don't be cheating people out of their money and don't take more than what's required. Why? Because Jesus is coming. And his axe is laid to the root of the tree, and every tree that bringeth not forth fruit will be hewn down and cast into the fire because Jesus is coming. His fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his threshing floor. Why? Everything that's chaff will be thrown into the fire unquenchable. Why? Because Jesus is coming, that's why. That's what he's getting at. Do you see it? You say, well, he's been bought off, paid for. You're talking about the guy who ate wild honey and ate a locust as it flowed by? He's the guy you think's been bought off? Oh, what's his agenda? What is it? He must really mean what he's saying. He can't be bought. He's uncompromisable. You can't pay him off. You can't get him to stop. Uh-oh, here comes Herod the king. Let's see if John the Baptist really means what he says. Because you heard the story, hadn't you? That John the Baptist was with his brother's wife. And he took her to be his own wife. And here comes Herod the king. Here comes John the Baptist. Let's see. Will, will oh no, John the Baptist, he says, stood up with his camel hair, a belly full of locusts and wild honey, and told the king of Judea, he said, Herod, it's not good for you. As a matter of fact, he said, it's unlawful. It's unlawful. And John the Baptist preached in a way you can understand him. You could hear what he was saying. You left there knowing what he said. 
And people think, I'm going to preach with fire and brimstone and I can't even understand what they're saying. That's fine. Be full of the Holy Spirit. But we should hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. And John the Baptist was clear. Nobody might not have liked it, but you could hear it. You could understand it. Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. It made his mistress so angry, didn't it? And the mistress was it her daughter? And she danced before Herod. He had a lust problem, didn't he? And you'll always find that there'll be, a, there'll be a problem when repentance is preached towards your problem. And oh, that little girl danced and pleased Herod. So I'll give you anything up to half my kingdom. And she said, I want the head of John the Baptist. <sighs> For Herod feared John the Baptist. You know why? Because John the Baptist didn't fear Herod. Off with his head. Lasted six months at best. What went ye out in the wilderness to see? Everybody was going. A king? No, kings don't wear soft clothes. What went ye out there to see? A prophet. Yea, greater than a prophet, Jesus said. As I'm telling you, Jesus said, there's not been a man born of woman greater than this guy. I heard one preacher say, I think it was Leonard Ravenhill, he said, John the Baptist didn't raise the dead. No, he raised a nation from the dead. He raised up a nation that was dull and full of sin and brought repentance through preaching by a man full of the Holy Spirit. We need a John the Baptist today, don't we? You know what they'd say about him? They'd say he's full of hate. They'd say he's, a, he's an ignorant man. They'd say he's unpolished and he's, he's, he's not very delicate or dainty. He's not very, some would say he's not very polite. Well, I don't think you could practice much, much politeness out there in the wilderness. And you really wouldn't care after you had a belly full of locusts. He had a belly full of fire, didn't he? Oh, John the Baptist. What did he preach? Repent. Repent. Repent and be baptized. Why? What else did he preach? In our text it said, verse 7 and 8, and he preached saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. What's John the Baptist saying? He's saying, what I'm doing, the water that I'm doing, it, 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 it only goes to the outside, but there's coming one mightier than I, and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. What is John the Baptist saying? There's coming one after me that can do a work on the inside that I can never do. There's coming. In Matthew's account, it says fire in the Holy Ghost. It makes me think it's either repent, be baptized, and be baptized of the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name through the indwelling might of his Spirit, or be baptized in the fire of God's judgment. Repent. Why? Because Jesus is coming. What is John the Baptist saying? He's saying this. You all better straighten up. You all better repent to receive your Messiah because He's coming. That's what He's saying. There's coming one after me. There's coming one after me. There's coming one after me. So He's saying, get ready. Get ready. Are you listening to the John sermon? Are you listening to it tonight? Get ready, get ready, 
Get ready, there's coming one mightier than me. Get ready, get ready, because he's coming. And then we get to the account of John, and John is there baptizing again. And he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. There he is. There he is. And some of John's disciples said, I'm going to go after him. And John said, You better, you better, because I must decrease, and he must increase. What a figure in the Bible. He's a noteworthy, isn't he? He's interesting. I'd like to see the commotion. So did he, I even thought, did he just start speaking in the wilderness and only the cows can hear him? I don't know. Did some shepherd out there hear this strange man preach a sermon to nobody and then go to his town and tell them, hey, you need to come, there's some nut out there saying things the Pharisees should be saying? And then the crowds begin to draw, to draw. John the Baptist. He baptized a nation, you could say, in preaching of repentance and the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming. Are you ready? Amen? He came in the spirit of Elijah. He came as a forerunner. He came to pave the way of the Lord. He came preaching repentance. And he came preaching that there's one coming mightier than I. And the, that's going to come up again quickly, very soon. As we get a song together, we'll sing a song together. If there's a need for prayer, you come. But that's going to come up again. And Jesus is going to say the same thing. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what does all that mean for our application? You need to start worrying about what's really important. Why would God want that in the Bible where John the Baptist says, hey, you all quit worrying about your money? What, what does that mean? You need money. I need money, right? What is he saying, though? What does God want us to know? Hey, you all quit worrying about that stuff. God's going to take care of you. You worry about what's most important. Hey, treat people right, you tax collectors. What's that mean for us? Hey, treat each other good. Do right by each other. Straighten up, because the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. Hey, repent, you better get ready. Our application is, Jesus has already came. Repent, because he's came. He's died, he's lived forevermore, and he's coming back. Repent. Are you ready? Because the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. Let's stand to our feet. What song are we going to sing, Bryson? Page 177. If you need prayer tonight, you come. Don't hesitate. I'd love to pray with you.